This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 1. We're continuing to walk through the gospel of Mark. And this morning we're looking at... uh, really the first supernatural encounter that Jesus has, and it occurs in the synagogue in Capernaum, and it's an example of the authority of Jesus. Let's take a look at that this morning. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses, one through, uh, verses 21 through 28 this morning as we talk about the authority of our Lord. Mark 1 and verses 21 through 28, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about the authority of our Savior and King today. We pray that you would help us to live all of our lives under the authority of Christ. Help us to understand more deeply that he is in charge in our lives and in every circumstance, and that we would live that way, that we would think that way, that you would free us from fear, free us from anxiety and worry, help us to be more bold, because we know that we are children of the King, and that the King has all authority in heaven and on earth. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Super Bowl Sunday is, brings back special memories to me, and they're not as much football memories as they are sweet father and son memories. When I think about this day and I think about the Super Bowl, I think about my dad. Because he and I, it was our tradition to always watch the game together. And then later on, I did the same thing with my own son. So my memories of Super Bowl Sunday are really bound up with family memories and especially father-son memories together. Now, if, if you were to take a sheet of paper... And you were, I think this is the 50th Super Bowl, right? So if you were to take a sheet of paper and you were to put the year down, 
I think I could probably, and you had blanks beside, beside that for the winner. I think I could probably, I could probably put down all 49 winners beside the correct year. However, if you were to ask me to give you the score of the game, I couldn't give you one of them. But I do know this. I know that Super Bowls tend to be either really tight or blowouts. They, they either tend to be a classic contests or no contest. Well, today we're looking at Jesus' first contest with demonic power in the Gospel of Mark. And, and let me tell you, it's no contest. <laughs> In fact, this only provides the context for Jesus to display his supernatural, all-powerful authority. Let's talk about that and what it means to us. So what do we see here in verses 21 through 28? First of all, we see the nature of his authority. So in verses 21 through 28, you have two incidents, both of which take place in the synagogue in Capernaum. One revolves around the teaching of Jesus. The other involves this exorcism of a demon. But both of these incidents are speaking about the same thing. They are both about the authority of our Lord. You ever experienced a crisis of authority? Our, our nation experienced a crisis of authority the day that President Reagan was shot. And if you remember that day in 1981, or if you've heard about it, you know that, that, that Vice President Bush was on a plane trying to get back to Washington, and President Reagan was in surgery, incapacitated. And so the Secretary of State, Alexander Haig, stepped up to the, the, the mic and he said, I, I'm in charge. <laughs> well, he meant to reassure the nation, but it only created more confusion because according to the Constitution, he, he was not really in charge. So, so for a while, no one knew who was in charge. Well, these early chapters of Mark are designed to show that Jesus is in charge. Because what we see in these early chapters of Mark again and again and again and again is Jesus displaying his authority. Authority over demons. Authority over disease. Authority in his teaching. Authority over nature itself. Jesus is clearing away any confusion about who is in charge? The great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper once said this. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, all authority... And heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen, most of our fear and most of our anxiety in life is due to the fact that we don't really believe that. Because if we really believed it, and if we believed in his love for us as his children, let me tell you, we'd have nothing to fear. 
We have nothing to be anxious about. You know, one day, many years ago as a young pastor, I was having lunch with a, uh, one of the laymen in our church. And I was stressed out about some things and some challenges that we face in the church and so forth. And so I'm kind of kind of venting <laughs> to this this faithful guy in our our church. And and uh, and it was clearly I was I was under a lot of stress. And and so I, I'm, I'm putting all this out there. And I'll never forget Dave Ankeny, who's still a dear friend to this day. Dave. Uh, Dave looks across the table at, he, at me and he says, I'm sorry, when did God stop being God? You know, that was just the rebuke that I needed. Because you see, I, I had good theology. Uh, but the problem was, is that there was, a, there was a disconnect in that moment between what I believed about God and the way that I was thinking we all experience this, don't we? A disconnect between what we believe about the character of God and the way that we're thinking and the way that we're living. What if we were to pray that that, that disconnect would be closed and that, that we would not only think rightly about God but that we would allow that to transform the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we deal with situations. And listen, I'm telling you, if we understand who he is, if we understand his authority and the fact that we are his beloved children, let me tell you, a lot of the problems, the stuff that we worry about, (laughs) would disappear pretty quickly. So we see here, first of all, the nature of his authority. The second thing that we see here is the authority of his teaching. The authority of his teaching. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. It says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as a scribe. So this takes place in Capernaum, which was the home base of Jesus during the course of his earthly ministry. Now, he was raised in Nazareth, but during his earthly ministry, he lived in Capernaum. When Jesus wasn't traveling around, he lived in Capernaum, and lots of things, the Gospels take place in Capernaum. So we need to know a little bit more about it. In Matthew 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. So the sea is the Sea of Galilee there. Capernaum is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Again, in Matthew 9, 1, it says, Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And the city that it's talking about is the city of Capernaum. And it describes it as Jesus' own city. It was where he lived during his earthly ministry. And and, and lots of things like the, the incident that we're talking about today take place in Capernaum. So we need to know a little bit more about it. Now fortunately, extensive excavations have been done of Capernaum. And so what you're seeing here on screen is the synagogue. 
in Capernaum. That's where this takes place. Everything in verses 21 through 28 takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum. So this is the exact spot where Jesus would have been that day. The limestone columns that you see would, would not have been there. Let's go back to that. The limestone columns would not have been there. That, that was built in the 4th century. However, if you visit this spot and you walk over just a few feet and you look down, then you see this. See the, see the darker stones there? That's basalt. Those stones were actually there that day as Jesus was teaching. And to give you a further context, you look through there and you can see the water in the background. That's the Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And these are first century stones. They would have, those were the very stones that were there that day as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And let me tell you, his teaching was very, very different. Very different. Uh, it, was, it was not unusual for different men to get up and, and to teach, but there was something incredibly unusual about the way Jesus taught. It was utterly unlike the scribes who were like experts in the Torah. And, and it wasn't just that Jesus was was better than them in his teaching, like a super scribe. It was that Jesus was teaching in a way that was totally different from them. And it was different in this way. It was different in its authority. Because you see, when the scribes taught, they would teach with a mediated authority. They would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Moses says this. But when Jesus teaches, Jesus is, is teaching the Bible as if somehow the Bible originated with him. <laughs> He's teaching the Bible almost as if he were the author of it. And you see, that word authority is, is related. It's, the root of that is, is, is the word author. It means from the original, from the original stuff. And so when Jesus teaches, he's teaching not with a mediated authority. He's teaching with original authority as, as, as if somehow he himself were the originator of the scripture. Now, it's very, very important that we understand the difference between original authority and mediated authority. Between what people say about the Bible and the Bible itself. When we read what people say about the Bible, that's mediated authority. When we read the text of Scripture itself, listen, we, we are reading the very revelation of God. We, we are reading from the original, from, from the living word of God you know, I'm a big advocate of study Bibles. I think it's very important for Christians to, to have a good study Bible. This is an excellent one. This is the ESV study Bible. And like most study Bibles, the, the way that it's laid out is that you have, you have text, which is the Bible here, and then you have notes about the text. 
down at the, the bottom. It's extremely helpful many times to, to see what great, learned, godly scholars have said to, to help us understand the text. But listen, always be mindful that there's a huge difference between, between the text of Scripture itself and what people say about the text. In fact, the editor of this study Bible is Justin Taylor. And when the ESV study Bible came out, Justin said this. He said, the most important feature in a study Bible is the horizontal line that divides the biblical text from the biblical interpretation. Everything above the line is inerrant and infallible. Everything below the line is filled with good intentions, but may not be true. And so, as helpful as it is, and as necessary as it is, to read what people have said about the Bible, you know, we need to understand that when we read the Bible itself, then we are reading the very Word of God for us. The Word of God, which, which is inspired by the Spirit of God. In fact, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And it has the power, explosive power, spirit-filled power to, to change and to do deep work, beautiful work in our lives. So listen, what's the role of Scripture in your life? What role does the Bible play in your daily life? Do you understand what you're holding when you hold an open Bible? In your hands. How often is that open Bible in your hands? And how much is a closed Bible on your shelf? Where it's inerrant, infallible, and unread. It's not going to change our lives. Well, we see here something about the authority of Jesus' teaching. Third, his authority over demonic powers. Verses 23 through 26. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Now it's interesting that the first supernatural encounter that Jesus has is an encounter with demonic power. And it's almost like Jesus is going for the jugular of evil from the very outset. And, and notice here that... This demon recognizes Jesus immediately. As we see in verse 24, this demon cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. It was a long time before people were going to know who he truly was. Even his disciples. They didn't know at this point. That Jesus was the Son of God, but the demons do. And, and we see this in, 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 other, in other texts in, in Mark. Uh, look at 3.11. 
It says, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Again, in chapter 5, we're going to, to see another person who is, is possessed with demons and the demons cry out. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So what we see in these encounters with demons are two things, really. First of all, the demons immediately recognize who Jesus is. People didn't understand at this point. The demons understand very well that Jesus is the Son of God. So we see that. The other thing that we see in every encounter with demons is that the demons are absolutely terrified of Jesus because they know that they have no authority in his presence. You know, Erwin McManus tells about a time when his little boy, Aaron, went to camp and there, were a lot of, there was a lot of talk about Satan and demons and so forth. And so the little boy, when he came home, was having trouble going to sleep at night. And so his dad goes in there and is trying to, trying to get him calm and get him ready to go to sleep. And the little boy is having all these thoughts about, about demons and so forth. And so Aaron said to his daddy, he said, Daddy, can you pray that God will make me safe? And Erwin said, well, son, how about this? How about instead of me praying that God will make you safe, how about if I pray that God will make you dangerous? So dangerous that demons will flee when you walk into the room. How do we become dangerous to demons? It's by staying close to Jesus. That's how. You stay close to Jesus, you have nothing to worry about as far as demonic power. And so what we should be focused on as Christians is not kind of obsessing about dark forces and demonic forces. What we should be focused on is Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. You have nothing to fear from demonic power. They, they know they have no authority whatsoever in his presence. And so if you're full of Jesus, you're close to him, nothing to fear from demonic power. Fourth, we see something here in this text about the reaction to our Lord's authority. Verses 27 and 28. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. It says that they were amazed in verse 27. And in Greek that word amazed, it means to strike. They were utterly struck by his authority. You know, may we be struck that way. May we recapture the awe and the amazement of the authority of Jesus. May, may we live life 
that way, knowing that the one who possesses this authority is with us. Carolyn Arends writes sometimes for Christianity, Christianity Today magazine. And Carolyn tells about one time as a little girl when some missionaries came to her church. And she said, you know, I can't remember everything they talked about, but I'll never forget this story. And it was a story about a snake. And this missionary couple lived in the jungle. And one day they came home to find that an enormous snake was in their house. We're talking about a snake that was like longer than what a tall man would be. Just a a giant snake. And so they were freaked out. They went and grabbed one of their, one of the locals. (laughs) And he came with a machete. And with one swift chop, he decapitated this snake. But he told them, he said, you can't go back in there right now. Because he's still going to be thrashing around. Even with no head. See, that's part of the neurology and the blood flow of, of, of snakes. Is that even after their head is chopped off, they continue to move around. And sure enough, this giant snake decapitated, just continued to thrash. In fact, he even smashed up some of their furniture. And as they were waiting for this whole process to play out so that they could get back into their house, they thought, you know what, this is, this is exactly the way it is with, with our enemy. Because Satan has already been defeated. I mean, he's a goner. His, his head has been crushed. His head's been, been, been severed. It's cut off. But he's still thrashing around. Still doing a lot of damage. But, but listen, he's a goner, right? His head has been, has been cut off. Why? For this reason. Because one day in Jerusalem on the cross, here's what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was going to allow all of the evil to converge on him. Jesus was going to take all the evil. Jesus was going to to, to allow all of it, all the evil and all our sins that come from it, to converge on him. He was going to say, put it on me. So that all who trust in him can be forgiven and free. And do life under his authority. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that the enemy has been disarmed and defeated as Colossians 2.15 tells us, at the cross. We thank you that those who follow the King can, can do life under His love and under His authority. And Father, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet come to live under the love and the authority of Jesus Christ. I pray that today they would turn to you in repentance and in faith. 
so that they might know you as Savior and Lord. Father, for those of us who do know you, would you allow us to live with a greater boldness, a greater freedom from fear and anxiety and worry because we know who you are. We know that you are in authority and that you love your children. We have nothing to fear. Help us to live that way and to think that way because of who you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you more. We don't want you to leave today without being able to talk with someone and, and pray with them. And we'll be here for you during our time of, of invitation after our service uh, today. Maybe if you're here today and, and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, uh, we'd love to welcome you. And so uh, as others stand and sing, just slip out, be right here at the front. Uh, to receive you. If there's a need in your life uh, for prayer, for any reason, we would love to pray with you today. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father. You are His child. You say, I love Him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached Christ is exalted and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd, I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.